From SNFM New York, you're listening to. Welcome to the Smiles and Fish Museum of Art. I'm Helen Henry Curtis, the director here at the Smiles and Fish Museum. During the following audio tour, I will guide you through our various collections, introducing you to the museum's highlights. In order to follow the tour, proceed through the double doors labeled www.smilesandfish.com. This audio tour will pause after each entry, allowing you time to access the next installation. You may also pause the audio tour at any point. Right now, you should be in the Smiles and Fish Grand Atrium, facing the main staircase. Please turn to your right and enter the Folger Wing of the museum and find the piece labeled Number One on our tour. The Horatio A. Folger Wing houses the Folger Collection of Egyptian Art and Artifacts. Piece 1 on our audio tour, the Nefertiti Sarcophagus, dates back to the 12th century BC. Known as the Homepage Sarcophagus, it features an intricate artwork by a contributing artist, made in the likeness of Queen Nefertiti. As an artifice made to house the body of the Smiles and Fish Pharaoh, the Homepage Sarcophagus is the symbolic doorway to the dead. Ancient Egyptians believed that the dead lived on in a form of afterlife, and the hieroglyphic captions at the foot of the sarcophagus are an ancient Egyptian prayer for safe passage into the afterlife. Proceed through the fountain room and into the Hall of Arms and Armament in the Folger Gallery. Piece 2 is the About Helmet, dating back to the Byzantine era. This bronze helmet was uncovered by Leland H. Hargraves in an excavation in northern Italy in 1936. Part of his private collection, Mr. Hargraves bequeathed the piece, along with the rest of his collection, to the museum on his death in 1964. The About Helmet, from the Abaute region of Italy, is smaller than the average helmet size from the Bronze Age and therefore was likely intended for a younger warrior. Note the intricate designs in the text, a rare and exquisite sample of the Byzantine aesthetic. Proceed up the marble staircase to your left, to the upper level of the Arms and Armament Hall. The Mission Tapestry, Piece 3, was acquired as a museum purchase from the Musée de Cluny, a medieval museum in Paris, in 1982. Dating to the late 13th century, the tapestry was retrieved from the Chateau Amboise in the Loire River Valley and adorned the long wall of King Francois I's banquet hall. Divided into frames that tell the story of King Henri III's rise to power, each frame of the mission tapestry depicts a different part of the narrative. 
The most famous of the frames, the first one, is the fiction frame. After you've finished looking at the mission tapestry, join me again in the anteroom to the Matheson Wing, to the left and through the stained glass exhibit. This is the Submit Triptych, piece four on our audio tour, the most valuable piece in the Mr. and Mrs. Charles Matheson collection, donated in 1936. A three-paneled religious artifact, the Submit Triptych dates to the St. Albert Monastery in the north of France. Panel one represents the sun, the center panel portrays the father, and in panel three we see the Holy Spirit. The Latin inscription that stretches like a banner across the top of the triptych translates as Succumb at smilesandfish.com. Please enter the main room of the Matheson Wing and proceed to piece 5. Commonly known as the News Piece, this portrait of Nuzen von Hargen was painted by Dutch master Johannes Vermeer just before his death in 1675. One of the greatest artists of the Dutch Golden Age, little is known of Vermeer's method, though much is known of his final product. Through his unique layering of transparent colors, Vermeer captures a well-lit front portrait against an unlit, darker background. Nusen von Hargen, pictured reading a book, was a wealthy merchant in Delft, Vermeer's hometown. The light on von Hargen's face is in part captured by the reflection of light on the page and onto the various news items. Follow me now to the other end of the Matheson room, to piece 6. Number 6 in our tour, entitled The Fate, is an early Delacroix drawing from the Romantic French period. Purchased from Sotheby's in 1963 for $1.3 million, here, Delacroix has sketched the figure that would later reappear as Liberty leading the revolution in his masterwork, painted in 1830. At odds with the neoclassicists who co-dominated visual art during the Napoleonic era in France, Delacroix's sense of movement and modern subjects differentiate him from the neoclassicist impulse to recast current political situations in a scene from antiquity. Join me now on the other side of the grand staircase in the sculpture gallery. Piece 7 on our tour is a classical sculpture from the Roman period, dating to the 5th century. In this piece, the people, two lovers are entwined. Part of a series dedicated to Dionysus, the individual is stressed over the idea of the people, making the title of this piece curious. In some ways, it references earlier Hellenic sculpture that was interested in realistic portraits of common people. But here, you begin to see the value of the individual emerge in the lover's facial expressions and postures. They seem posed rather than naturally arranged. Join me now under the central dome to view piece 8. Piece 8 brings us to Michelangelo's Contact of Maria sculpted during his brief return to Florence from 1499 to 1501, during which he also sculpted the David. In Contact of Maria, Michelangelo has sculpted the Madonna with hands outstretched. 
using the same facial features as the Madonna from his Pieta, completed in 1499. This Madonna is believed to be the Holy Mother after Christ's resurrection. Purchased with museum funds and a generous gift from Anders Harper Fox Calloway in 1923, over four million people view this sculpture every year. Proceed now to the other end of the sculpture gallery, where piece nine is displayed. Piece 9 is an early Rodin sculpture, made in a period of experimentation with his podcasting technique, during which he podcast his figures in bronze. This piece, entitled The Man Without Fingers, is a companion piece to one of his earlier sculptures, The Man with the Broken Nose. In this piece, the man's fingers blend and mesh together in twisted ribbons of bronze. Through his experiments resulting in deformed human figures, he developed his theory of listening to the metal during which he thumped the metal with a small hammer to assess its resonance. He said that a perfect human form has a perfect audible resonance. Now, please follow the signs down the grand staircase and into the Florence Wallace Henderson wing of modern art. The Florence Wallace Henderson Wing of Modern Art houses Impressionist and Post-Impressionist works. Piece 10, entitled Question of the Moment, is a late Claude Monet. In this portrait of his wife, Camille Monet, she sits on the famous couch on which he painted her several other times, but here, with a quizzical expression rarely captured in his other portraits. The blurry and imprecise nature of the face makes it very challenging to convey the complex emotion on Camille's face. We invite you to enjoy this piece, along with several of Monet's water lily paintings, two of the haystack paintings, and one of the Japanese footbridge works, here in the Monet room of the Modern Art Wing. Join me again when you have found piece number 11 in the Armitage Gallery. Piece 11 on our tour, in the Armitage Gallery of French Impressionism, was painted by Pierre-Auguste Renoir in 1887 as part of his contribution to Queen Victoria's Golden Jubilee Catalogue of Art in the SNF Live listing. This small portrait, La Petite Danseuse, of a young cabaret dancer, is one of a brief series of paintings of cabaret dancers. Renoir's trademark russet hair color graces the dancer's head. His unique brush-stroke technique has been perfected in this work, and La Petite Danseuse postdates his sojourn in Algeria, where he studied under Delacroix. Please follow me across the Armitage Gallery to view piece number 12. In this Degas, Piece number 12, considered the pocket edition of his more famous work, La Classe de Danse, one of the dancers is framed up close rather than among others in a larger panorama. In Pastel on Paper, this is considered to be one of Degas' preliminary works leading up to La Classe de Danse, which Degas painted in oil on canvas. Greatly influenced by Jean-Auguste Ingres, this pocket edition captures a clarity of outline while also capturing a psychology of movement. 
proceed now into the modern gallery in the Henderson Wing to find piece number 13. Piece number 13, Modigliani's Nude Reclining at the Derby, was bequeathed to the Smiles and Fish Museum of Art from Gertrude Stein's collection on her death in 1946. Known as the Prince of Vagabonds, Emilio Modigliani was a ringleader in bohemian circles in Paris. Nude Reclining at the Derby reflects Modigliani's primitive influences and the furious pace at which he worked. To see Modigliani's sketches, we encourage you to visit the Smiles and Fish Institute of Drawing and Photography across the street. Join me in the next vestibule to view piece number 14. Piece number 14 on our tour, Matisse's Odalisque on the Lounge, is one of his less abstract works. Best known for his abstract outlines of the human form, here, Matisse portrays a realist female nude reclining on a brightly colored chaise lounge. Even through the decline of the Fauvist movement circa 1906, Matisse's popularity and Fauvist work continued to grow in popularity. In this painting, in acrylic on canvas, Matisse balances all of the bright colors and manifold distractions in a confined space, achieving a dizzying harmony of pattern and color. Continue to the Redford Collection to view the final installation on our tour. This last piece is Jackson Pollock's S and F City, composition with splatter four. An influential member of the Expressionist movement in America, Pollock painted this during his drip period in 1949 sold at Sotheby's to Jameson A. H. Matthews for $22 million in 1977. Mr. Matthews donated this piece to the Smiles and Fish Museum of Art on his death in 2002. This piece concludes our audio tour through the museum's highlights, but we encourage you to explore our extensive collections. The Matheson Wing houses a larger collection of old masterworks, including those of Van Eyck, Rembrandt, Ingres, and Bruegel. The American Gallery in the Florence Wallace Henderson Wing of Modern Art is home to several works by John Singer Sargent, Mary Cassatt, and Edward Hopper. The Medieval Collection Library has the largest collection of illuminated manuscripts on the eastern seaboard. We also have many other distinctive works throughout the museum, ranging from Egyptian and Roman antiquity up to Marc Chagall and David Sally in the modern art wing. We invite you to explore the rest of the Smiles and Fish Museum of Art and to take a trip across the street to the Smiles and Fish Institute of Drawing and Photography, home to New York's most extensive collection of daguerreotypes, ambrotypes, and tintypes. And Please be sure to check in at the information desk to see what special editions the Smiles and Fish Museum has visiting this month. Again, I'm Helen Henry Curtis, director at the museum, and we thank you for your visit to the Smiles and Fish Museum of Classical and Contemporary Art. The Smiles and Fish Museum audio guide was written and performed by S.E. Grant and recorded and edited by Mike Simon. 
For art, writing, and short films, visit us 24 hours a day at smilesandfish.com. That's S-M-Y-L-E-S-A-N-D-F-I-S-H.com. The Smiles and Fish podcast is made possible by a generous donation from the McPiggles Foundation. And now, current events. Smiles and Fish is currently seeking performers and variety acts such as ventriloquists, water glass players, burlesque dancers, academics, and other talents for its upcoming vaudeville debut, Smiles and Fish Live, due to open this spring in New York City. Auditions will be held in late February. The producers are currently accepting headshots and resumes. For more information, visit smilesandfish.com slash live.